0: This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal
1: roofing, all of incomparable quality. To everyone in our audience across 44 states, countries overseas, thank you for listening week after week and for making your valuable home among the top 10% of all podcasts. We have two big announcements to make.
0: Aha, the first one. Beginning the first Friday in January 2023 and continuing for five Fridays into February 2023 will serve up the podcast and YouTube series. That's YouTube as well. It's called The Coolest Neighborhoods in America. Enduring historically significant architectural style was the determining factor in the neighborhoods we chose to feature. First up, multiple neighborhoods in Philadelphia and surrounding areas that feature to this day prime examples of homes in the mid Century modern architectural genre. That podcast and YouTube release Friday, January sixth. Then on Friday, January thirteenth, we'll interview two longtime residents of Medford Lakes, a resort community of log homes turned year-round mecca on a series of lakes in the protected pinelands of New Jersey, and the coolest neighborhoods of America. Will continue through the first week in February with podcasts and accompanying YouTube videos. This is a first for us. Anybody's interested in architectural styles and just finding about these communities where the common denominator is a real sense of pride about the community then in early February we'll celebrate our 100th podcast can you believe that Kevin? Hundred podcast Hundred Podcasts. I've actually watched you get older doing this project <laughs> and the beginning of our ninth year in broadcasting and podcasting with tons of ideas for our listeners from Kevin and Ron and frequent contributors to Your Valuable Home ideas to help our listeners make affordable home improvements as well as lots of ideas to enhance the value of their communities our 100th podcast celebration begins in early February All About You the listeners of Your Valuable Home.
1: Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth.
0: Okay, Kev, wrapping up the year here on the New of Valuable Home podcast. And we got Brian back again, right? Yep. Brian, you must be having a lot of work done in your house.
3: Kind of going down the home stretch here. We're uh, finishing up our kitchen and bathroom, and the windows uh, were installed um, recently here. So uh, everything's kind of moving along.
1: Okay. So cabinets are in. We've got all the cabinets installed. Uh, Dave's actually putting uh, knobs and drawers and the handles and putting that all together as we speak. Uh, we actually have the tile upstairs, upstairs towering the bathroom. So we talked about the bathroom with Courtney Courtney, a little while ago, but we didn't really get into it last week talking about the bathroom done. But the bathroom is uh, in process. The bathroom was done pretty quickly. Again, it wasn't a complete rip out. We ripped the tub, the tile, uh, put some new concrete board down. No
0: structurals, none of that stuff. Okay. Same thing
1: inside the same envelope. Same footprint, In and out. And what that does, it keeps the cost way down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So by doing it this way, but we're ready to rock and roll, but we could talk about the tile because I didn't see the tile. I actually came to the studio when the tile guy just got there. So why don't we talk about the tile? Did you see any of the tile being installed yet, Brian?
3: I have not. I have not seen him. I have not seen the tile get installed yet. I know he's upstairs working on it right now as we
1: speak, but I have not taken a look yet.
3: We talked about the niche that we're putting in and making sure that all the uh, the shelf heights are going to be correct and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I'll have to uh, go take a look after we've got the phone here.
1: So, again, it's just a simple bathroom. Tub's going to be installed uh, inside the existing area there. So it was just, everything was quick and easy. So when we got it all roughed in, that actually during the, the first week was really- What kind of tub did you put in there? It's the Villager by uh, Kohler. It's one of the, it's an all-purpose tub. It's a great tub. It will last for a lifetime. So it's not
0: like a soaking tub, right? No, just a regular okay. basic right. tub.
1: Okay. It's affordable. I'm, I, Brian, with the price for that, I mean, you saw that it was pretty reasonable, right? Because that's what most of my clients think for that tub. They always find it more reasonable than getting one of those real fancy soaking tubs.
3: No, I mean everything was extremely reasonable price wise. I mean it's definitely a higher quality tub than what we had originally, um, but price wise, I think it was uh, you know right there in line with everything else.
1: Yeah, one of the nice things okay. that uh, Kathy never tells everybody is that I'm the one who installing it because Dave who says it does all the work. I'm the one with the plumber bringing it up. We have to bring it on the dial. It's 383 pounds, I believe. Wow, that tub. So we have. So to- you brought that up yourself? Well, yeah, Dave and I. Uh, oh, the plumber. Oh, he, not ha- he had day. to help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before I used to throw it on my back and get up there, but I'm a little bit older now, so I decided to work a little bit smarter and not throw my back out. All right. So we uh, got the tub in, everything's rocking, and rolling, the bathrooms pretty much uh, 90% painted, cabinets are in, uh, we're waiting for the granite to win- be installed, and the tile's getting done, it's going to be one day to install, tomorrow they're going to be grouting, and uh, I start my final paint starting tomorrow. So he's going to be wrapping up at this point.
0: Okay, so you'll finish next week.
1: That's what okay. we're, the whole goal is to, right. and... Uh, Everything that we've worked on, it's, it's been, a, the kitchen has been uh, neater than something else because of this table we talked about in last week's show. So now the table is framed out Now we're waiting for is the, the granite to be installed, mm-hmm. but it's a really funky concept. Now, Brian, I know you worked with Kathy and your wife uh, have done a lot of work into that. Could you explain to our listeners exactly what you're doing now that you see the framing done?
3: Yeah. So um, we basically had our existing kitchen um, and we had a room off of that, which was uh, the house's original family room. And um, you know, there was an addition built onto the back of the house. So this original family room really wasn't being utilized. So we were trying to come up with a concept that we could you know, pull that existing room um, into our kitchen a little bit. So what we did is we're extending from our kitchen over um, into that room, uh, putting a large piece of uh, quartz down, um, and it's going it's to rest on a table. So basically building a built-in table between two columns. And then on the far wall, we're putting in a wet bar, refrigerators and that type of thing. So we're going to have a beverage center, a wine fridge, um, and it's a really kind of a large piece of furniture because you we know, had this existing room that was fairly decent size, but was, was empty. So um, kind of came up with this concept to try and pull in the kitchen along with that room and make it more of like our
1: dining room.
0: It works. It works. I've got a picture in my mind of it. You're going to put these shots on your own uh,
1: Facebook. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Facebook and Instagram, your valuable homes. So this way our listeners can understand what they're Absolutely. talking yeah. about. Yeah. And you know, one of the things we also did yesterday was the bar refrigerator. So there's a wine refrigerator, actually two of them. And these things, they, they were heavy. They were just as heavy as those tubs. So what we try to do is we have an appliance company that comes in and does everything at the end. well, for our, our listeners, and even contractors that listen, you know, go out of your way to make it a little bit easier for them. Now, Brian talked about a makeshift kitchen. So what we did is the electrician finished up already. And what we did is we installed the oven. We had the electrician hook it up, install the oven. So this way, during that process, the they, can, not, they can
0: cook. Yeah. yeah, Okay.
1: So they, there's the microwave's already installed. The two bar refrigerators are installed. The, re, the kitchen refrigerator, the main one, is it's always been there. We just moved it a little bit further down the line. Uh, the oven, so when that's working, so everything's... Working. The only thing left is a cooktop, sink, and dishwasher that we have to get installed. And then once mm-hmm. the granite gets installed, everything gets put together. And so it's they've been
0: functional exception. there for a while?
1: Uh, probably for the last week. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Mostly fun. I mean, more important the, is the beer refrigerator. I think, Brian, you, you were the happiest when that went in, didn't <laughs> you? I was. Uh, we, we started
3: stocking that last night. So uh, already ch- chilling down the beer and the wine.
1: That was quick. Dave came in. He goes, look, they already filled the refrigerator for us. <laughs>
3: so...
1: They were having a nice conversation with my, my former Dave and uh, Brian about uh, drinking beer already because it was filled up that quick so I guess you're kind of anxious to get into that bar area more than the kitchen
3: yeah I think that I think my wife's more excited about the kitchen but I, I really uh, like like the bar concept and having the convenience of that being right there in the uh, house without having to go out in the, the garage like we were previously doing I mean it's gonna be a lot more convenient for ourselves and our, our children I mean previously we had a you know a a fridge full of beer and drinks for the kids out in the garage, and everybody kind of have to go out there and get their items. Now, you know, you can just walk from the family room right over into the extended kitchen area and grab it.
1: So you got two bar refrigerators. One's going to be for you and your wife, and then the other one's going to be for the kids. More or less, yes. I got it. Yeah, so that's a little bit of convenience there. But yeah, I'm going to take a picture of the the table because it, it's a design like I said, we yeah, I'd like to before. see it.
0: I would like to see that. Yep.
1: So, but it's the same. But it's brand. prefab unit. No, no, it's not. Pre- we built it all from scratch. Oh, okay. Kathy designed it. We had the fillers, we had the, the legs, all that was manufactured from the cabinet company. Dave built this based on those specs. And then the granite guys were there uh, last week and took measurements and they templated everything. And uh, we're waiting for the install date. Okay. So we're going to get that in. And once that gets installed, the plumber's going to be there the next day, hooking the sinks up, putting the dishwasher in. And we're going to get moving along so they can get whole again and keep moving and uh, have us over for a great party that we're going to have over there. The kitchen uh, bar area, I guess you could say, that it's going to be finished.
3: Oh, absolutely! I mean, we're we're, we're definitely looking to uh, to host once, once everything's complete here. Um, you know, we got the countdown on for for Christmas here, and after the New Year, I think we're definitely going to have a big party, and everybody's going to have to come over and christen the
1: space. Well, yeah. One thing also we didn't mention that I, I've got to say was great. What's that? Up? They, they had their floor done. We talked about the floor being finished already, and Courtney actually called the guy that actually did the floor because what we did is we moved the island down and the island where the floor was previously there was there was no stain there so they called him up this guy was great he said listen i'd come right out he's going to be able to rework it in and sand the, the area down and re in the, the stain back in mm-hmm. so that brian i wanted to give you that that was a, a really nice guy to talk to and i'm looking forward to see what uh, kind of work he does because he really did some nice workmanship on the floor previously so that's one of the nice things having a good contractor to sure. work with absolutely uh, it was great so i'm looking forward to that getting done because the floor is there it's just it needs to be stained because it was never stained previously because the island was on top now that we moved it down that island where it was previously covered is not stained and that's one of the things it's that it going to match it's all going to match yeah yeah he said it was going to match i mean the guy, what he talked about yeah it was i was confident that he can do this right if he's going to match yeah. so
0: he's not going to strip the rest of the floor and do it all over there's a lot of flooring a lot of flooring. <laughs> a yeah.
1: Yeah, we got the floors done
3: probably about two years ago, and uh, Troy, Troy uh, he uh. did a phenomenal job, and he'll come in here. He's supposed to. Uh, he took a look. I have every confidence that he'll be able to blend everything and make everything look great.
0: Good.
1: Okay. So that's what we're looking for. So we'll get you on one more time for the final and get some pictures with the backsplash and everything else. And uh, and want to get in about another hour so. We want to shoot upstairs and take a look at the tile in the bathroom that the guys are doing and uh, see how that bathroom's changed.
3: Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I mean, everything keeps moving along here. Um, everybody's doing a phenomenal job. You know, Dave's here putting stuff together as we speak, and I'll have to go check on the tile guy shortly.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, and I'll see you tomorrow morning. You'll be ready to go All for right, the thank holidays, Brian.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and Kevin's got the countdown on, too. You know, okay. we're, we're, we're working towards next Thursday, so ah, okay. fingers crossed everything happens.
0: All right. Perfect. Okay, Kev, ready to pull the curtain down on 2022, but we got a couple more shows to go and we got a horror story. Yeah,
1: that we do. We just talked with Brian about getting finalized for his kitchen and uh, it was kind of funny because we didn't talk about this earlier, but the project as we're going along, we got started, we ripped everything out and as soon as we uh, got into the third day, the homeowners started to find a little bit of water in the basement right under the hot water tank. Their hot water blew really quickly. So it was like a 3 week of uh, 3 month 3 years somewhere, I think Yeah, when area. they go, they go. I and mean they there's go. no there's no once you got water coming out, there's no saving it. And it was just starting to, but you could see the rust stains. So they called me up at night and I said, "Listen, it's not a problem. We'll we'll get somebody right out there. The plumber's ready to go." And later that night they said they were Sharon. She said, "I you know, I think there was there was water coming in the pipes." I'm like, oh, "Well, listen, if you just shut the water down, we will be out tomorrow and we'll take a look at it." So Uh, court and i took a look at it and i said well those aren't the plumbing pipes those are the heat pipes that are putting in so they had a a system put in so somebody put a newer unit in and direct vented it out through the chimney which goes through the first floor of the house where we're put in the kitchen and just off the back wall and goes up to the the top floor so i said listen i'll bring the ladder or bring what i need to do and i'm going to go up there and take a look and again these pictures are going to be on uh, the social media feeds instagram and facebook your valuable home so as soon as i got up there it was kind of easy to see uh, you know what it, you're this is what we call a bad contractor if you're doing mechanical and you don't know how to flash something around the chimney there's no sense even doing a job because what they did is created yeah, it's a, gonna leak it's gonna <laughs> leak like a sieve well yeah as we as i got done we, we talked about it and they said yeah you know they heard dripping uh, inside but we didn't see any water leaking so what that was was just it was starting to leak and it's been leaking for multiple times dripping down but it actually started to show his face down in the basement because it was dripping into the basement all the way up from the second floor so what i did was as soon as i but got up where there, was it
0: going how was it going down it didn't destroy the ceilings on the way down or anything
1: no it's, it's it's basically what it is it's a fire stop cavity so it's a sealed cavity that's in there but they actually have a vent so a little bit of a return vent that you can hear some of the echoing of the dripping that was coming down okay. the piping okay so as soon as i got up there there was two stacks that get put through the top of the chimney. Then they have your top piece of flashing, and then as the two stacks that are up there, two six-inch steps, there are flanges that cover it. So what you do is when the the mechanical guy cuts the hole at six inches, he's probably going about six and a half inches. Mm -hmm. And that's the slide easily, the six-inch pipe that goes through the top part of that cap. Mm -hmm. And then once that gets put on, then you put a sleeve over top of it that looks like a dome. And as the water hits it, it, it flares away The water, and you seal around it so it doesn't backtrack back into the house. Right. Well, if they overlap, your contractor that you're going to be doing this should cut a a very nice tight fit, and it's going to seal around it. Well, the fit they cut around it, I could stick my hand all the way through both flanges. One was sealed from the original. The one they put in, they cut it so big, it was about at least an inch and a half gap. So all this water has been running down that that whole time. Wouldn't a guy who's doing doing the job realize that that's that right, Ron? We did over five hundred horror stories of bad contractors and people don't believe some of the so they stuff. Just,
0: maybe they see it and they say, "Yeah, you the know, heck with it.
1: Yeah, We're done. That's We're what done they here. Did. Our job,
0: our work here is done."
1: <laughs> yeah, Dave even heard me up there because I don't. They didn't hear me. I'm like, I said, you got to be kidding me at this point. I mean, there's a few more words that I put in there that I want to say, but it, that's how bad of a job it was. And you can see the pictures that I'm going to post on the media. Is that when this is done, these are the problems that you're going to have. And if you have a bad contractor that doesn't take responsibility of what really happened there, you got to do it from the beginning. You got to do it right. It's that simple. When that flange is around, if it does overlap, you just got to cut it and you got to scribe from one piece to the other so it's a nice tight fit. And then put some silicone around there. And you want to check it every five years, 10 years. You want to do the maintenance on your roof, maybe around the pipe collars. Well, that's something you want to look for. And that's what every homeowner should take a look at. Because even over time, they start to rust out. In a 10 year span, I've seen them rust out. So if they rust out, you want to do the maintenance on that roof. Because what happens is when that leak happens, it could be ongoing. You might not notice it right away. What are the damages it's causing? Now, this wasn't much damage. It could there. be a nightmare. Could be a nightmare yeah. inside your house. There's, we had, I remember jobs we did where this happened and the whole chimney, the wood framing of the chimney was gone over 10 years. Sure. I mean, wood does not take well to water. It, no. It can get, and, and listen, if you have a leak, wood can get wet. It can get wet several times, it can be on for six months because it's not raining every day. But it can get wet, but over a ten year span of water pouring in a house. It's gonna rot the wood. Yeah. We took absolutely we started taking the stucco down, and the stucco was coming down in sheets because the plywood behind there was so rotted it just literally fell down. We could have used a dustpan and brush to, to knock this chimney down. Now with It this, becomes mulch basically. That's exactly yes. what mm-hmm. it was. This one didn't get to that point because we caught it early enough, but I stabilized it. I checked underneath, it wasn't rotted out where I could see. I checked in the certain areas, everything still looked good. But if this was ongoing for years and years, this would have been a fifteen to $20,000 fix needed. So that's why it's just more upsetting that if the homeowners didn't know about this and they didn't hear about this, and if we weren't there, it was like the perfect storm for us to be there and that hot water tank leaking because it just started to show its face on leaking into the basement. So it takes time where if it's draining down there, it could still absorb into the wood. And if the wood's still soaked, because we've been getting a lot of rain lately and getting more soaked and more soaked and rotted out, The wood's not going to absorb that water. So it's just going to keep working its way down to the path of least resistance, which is now in the basement where it's going to drip in. And that's what we had found. So what I did is just basically sealed it up. But it's an area, roofing. We talk about it plenty of times. Why roofing, there's so many horror stories. Because if you don't do the right job, you're going to have a leak. And that leak, anywhere on a roof, you're going to have problems. And that problem's come in. It's going to be more costly for you in the the end because they didn't do the job right the first time. What are you doing in business if you can't do a job right the first time? Look, I get it. Things aren't perfect today's age, you got yeah you know, products that are going to be uh, more difficult to install. They come in damaged. I mean, I get all that, but you still got to do the right job. You got to do it right for the homeowner because the homeowner is the one's going to take the brunt of the cost to fix all this. Now, granted, we were there, so it was nothing for us to do. I was glad to do it for him. And uh, that's something that yeah, we do as a provided service. As Not only that, customers. but if
0: the water comes through big time, you got furniture to worry about, you got all sorts of stuff to worry about, that would be total a total waste of time because somebody didn't take the time to do something that would have taken 10 minutes or 15 minutes, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: It's and crazy. If, what I don't understand is how the area where what we call fire stopping, when that pipe goes through floor to floor, it didn't get to the flooring because we talked about Brian with the floor because the floor sure. guy was put in there and he did a beautiful job on it. Imagine all that water if it got to that floor area and just started leaking under all that floor uh, mess. So that's what I was more worried about. So I wanted to seal it off. But again, it's going to be a maintenance every 10 years. I always say for everybody and our listeners, uh, just have somebody go up there and take a look at the pipe collars, the collars that are around the, the heating and air conditioning, anything that's going to be penetrating through the roof. Just want to maintenance and just keep an eye on it because that little bit of maintenance is going to save you a long bit of headaches down the line if you have a problem. So let's, uh, get into the uh, big uh, college that we got coming up. What do we have?
0: This is big stuff. We are ending the year with a big bang here. Okay, we've got Brad Sullivan from Cider Press Woodworks in Dublin, PA, near Doylestown, PA. He's got a fantastic 75,000 square feet. Beautiful facility. Everything. Furniture to soup the nuts for restaurants and hotels around the country. And he also builds custom furniture. Paired him up with Donna Hoffman. Both of them have been on the show before. Donna Hoffman is interiors by Donna Hoffman. She is a superior interior designer. And we have asked them both to address the question, is it viable? Should you do it? Build custom furniture pieces, signature pieces, building a new house or doing a whole house renovation, like a historic renovation? And their answer is yes. And you're going to hear some fantastic ideas from coming up in our featured segment. Got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Kev, is it hard for clients planning large exterior projects to visualize how the colors and textures work together?
1: It used to be, especially when they mix products from different manufacturers. Provia's new website and broad selection of exterior products make my job easy. Clients' faces light up as they choose all the products needed to give their home's exterior a now look with Provia's product line and their amazing new website. We use their visualizer right from my laptop.
0: Hey, the site is amazing. Provia makes color selection a breeze. The website has eight suggested exterior color schemes that can be applied to Provia products, or customers can choose shades from any palette to suit their own tastes. The design center tab must be a great tool for you in visualizing how all Provia products work in harmony based on window and door configuration, siding, stone, and metal roofing color
1: and style. It's brilliant. You can see how Provia products work together on a sample home or a photo of a client's own home. Then you save the work with the My Portfolio tab. The site even lets me take exterior measurements. The new Provia.com and an expansive line of exterior products deliver on Provia's
0: mission, which is to serve by caring for details in ways others won't.
1: For updating home exteriors, our listeners should go to Provia.com slash YVH first and visualize the possibilities. Okay, Ron, now it's time for the featured interview. And I believe we got one of my favorite guests returning.
0: We're going to try something a little bit different in the feature today. We're going to do some brainstorming or an idea session with two people who are at the very top of their professions. And they both made... Significant t- contributions to your valuable home. There's Brad Sullivan, the head of Cider Press Woodworks in Dublin, Pennsylvania. It's near Doylestown. And we are welcome back Donna Hoffman, this region's only luxury interior designer, to win seven Designer of the Year awards from the International Design Society and American Society of Interior Design Cider Press is a custom architectural millwork company. whose work adorns top-tier restaurants throughout the United States, hotels and clubs as well, and abroad, and his furniture creations are much sought after. Donna's company, Interiors by Donna Hoffman, is in Yardley, PA, but her client list spans multi-regions in the U.S. So, Brad and Donna, great to have you back on Your Valuable Home, the occasion of a total home makeover, new purchase, or the restoration of a historic home. Those three things create a huge opportunity for an owner or owners to project personality and lifestyle with custom furniture pieces that make a statement. Brad, question for you. Has a restaurant, hotel, or club client ever called upon you to create custom furniture for their home?
4: Yep. we work worked with many of the ownerships. Of, many of our clients have had us do
0: work on their homes as well. Okay. So they see what you do in the restaurant or the club or whatever, and they say, wow, I want to have that in my house. Yes. And Donna, have you had a request for custom furniture from an interior design client?
2: Yes, like constantly. That's kind of where we roll with a lot of what we do in the custom homes that we work on. Custom homes deserve custom interior design spaces, right? So very often we're doing things that are of a particular size, particular style, particular coloration that we can't find in a ready, quote, quote, in a ready-made piece. So that's when we turn to our resources to create what we need created, whether it's a table, a sofa, a, a flourish, a wall flourish. So there's a lot of customization that happens in the interior design world when you're doing custom
4: spaces.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Should type and look of a custom furniture piece project the client's personality? I think I know how both of you are going to answer that. It definitely
4: does. Most of the residential work we do is designed specifically to the client's needs, tastes, personalities. Donna?
2: a couple of things that we do we, we use a process in our company called the design fingerprint where we really drill down into how how clients uniquely relate to things like line and form shape color texture pattern so we really know how our clients roll in design what they need to feel great in a, in a space we're also looking at for custom upholstered items looking at how clients sit in a, in a piece how they need to be pitched in that piece what kind of leg depth they need what kind of seat heights they need, what type of um, firmness and support they need. And then when it comes to case goods, we're looking at, you know, what what do we need that's going to fit their design aesthetic, fit who they are, but also work from a budget perspective as well. So we're looking at the architecture of the space, the budget that we're looking at, and certainly the client, our client's design fingerprint. So it's a couple of things that we're kind of taking into consideration.
0: Okay. Let's talk about the two of you now. Brad, what would be a custom piece for the Sullivan home? Describe it for us. I don't think there's
4: any one piece. We do all depending on the budget and the design team that we're working with. When we're working with designers, which is, I would say, 90% of our uh, furniture requests, we are a company that is able to provide any design that anybody comes up with, from upholstered goods to case goods to solid wood furniture.
0: If you were doing it for your own house and you wanted your personality to come through, What would that piece be? What would that one signature piece be?
4: Two things that I'm working on right now. One is a bed. It's kind of a slab headboard that has some upholstered aspects to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other item that I'm working on right now is kind of a Danish-inspired rocking lounge uh, chair, kind of club chair. There are two pieces that I'm currently working through for myself. I've recently done a barn renovation, so it's a Sullivan house. It's mine. Uh Um, So those are the two custom pieces I'm currently working on for myself. But the spectrum and and the the number of pieces that we come through that we've never built before, there's several every week.
0: And Donna, what would be that one custom piece for the Hoffman home?
2: I'm going to say two pieces. I'm going to break the rules. I'm a rule breaker. One would be this spectacular home office desk and bookcase that I designed and had built. And it says efficiency wrap in a little bit of glam and definitely high style. And also, there's a custom kitchen table that that I created for our home that has just perfect line, perfect color, perfect style, perfect size. And And I think it just looks very bespoke, very tasteful, but also very bespoke. And when I design these things, Brad's team is the type of team that builds my vision. I design it. I don't build it. And I am proud to announce, Brad, that I was nicely kicked out of a wood shop in college, asked never again to return <laughs> to the coffee. <train laughs> <laughs> <laughs> so I can see it, I can envision it, but I cannot build it. So that's why I love leaning into people like Brad and his team to do the gorgeous creation.
0: He's got quite, a, quite an operation up in Dublin. How many square feet do you have now? That's about 75,000 square feet. 75,000. It's a big operation. It's very impressive. I mean, the, the equipment he's got there, you could spend all... It's almost like an adult Disneyland, you know? hmm Should a few custom furniture pieces aesthetically coexist with the balance of furnishings in the residence?
2: Yeah, design counterpoints are exciting in an interior so that everything is... I mean, things can get very thematic in Disney if, you know, if, if it's, you know, so farm, country, barn, it, you know, a case it can start to look over the top. So or or pick pick a design style. So I think it's nice sometimes to have that counterpoint. There are some styles I wouldn't necessarily do that in, like mid-century modern. I pretty much respect that. But Mm -hmm. in transitional design, I think offering, or traditional, I think offering a counterpoint, that unexpected something, provided that there's good marriage between it and the other pieces around it. I think counterpoints are when
4: design becomes really exciting.
0: Brad, how do you feel about that? Well, my personal taste is
4: very eclectic, so I'm connected to most pieces that I bring into my home. So a lot of them have a meaning or a story behind them. We try to make them marry well. Having counterpoints is definitely how I operate.
2: And I think it's when you get into the consumer level at, you know, furniture stores and catalogers and the way design consumers are used to seeing things. It's very cookie cutter. It's a suite of furniture and it's the matching headboard with the matching nightstands and the matching dining table with, you know, it goes on and on. And once you get into the custom world, you know, we're really carving and crafting spaces that are very bespoke, very unique. We don't feel the restraint of, oh, this has to match and this has to match and this has to match. We're looking for marriage not matching
0: okay. that's a good point well stated a great point yeah great point
1: so i think ryan you got to get rid of that table in your back room that's made out of hockey sticks that's got to go no I yeah don't
0: we
2: been have... meaning to talk to you about that <laughs> no i don't have anything like
0: that i have in my back room i have grunge tables and chair and that kind of thing i love it. it's my sunroom can they also be a counterpoint to a home's architectural style some probably know right
2: Yeah, I think that's a case-by-case basis. I mean, Brad, I'd love to hear your perspective on it. But, I mean, I would, in a truly mid-century modern home that has very modern structure to it, you know, the French are great at, the Parisians are great at taking something that's very old world and then throwing, casting something very modern against it, and Mm -hmm. it can be very exciting. Um, American, American clients and consumers don't seem to want to do that in the same way. And I think that you need to tread a little more carefully if you have Uber traditional architecture. Um, I think you, I think you can go I think you can go modern, but I think I think you got I think it has to be done very tastefully. so I, I, at the end it depends on the finishes. The finishes are really what drive you know are you, are you looking at slab doors on your existing kitchen. You know what, what, is, what are those existing hard finishes dictating? That will also guide your choices.
0: I
4: agree completely. I I feel the the European blending of modern and traditional uh, is done very well in in Europe. In in the United States, I feel like we don't have, our architecture is different. The the proportion and use of materials that were used in many of the old buildings in Europe um, lend itself to a different scale and proportion than most of even the traditional buildings are done here, unless you're dealing with a very urban structure. Um, And so for me, I when we do, we we also do a lot of home renovations. And when we're dealing with an old stone farmhouse, say in Chester or Bucks County, um, and clients sometimes want a very modern addition, it's it, I always get very nervous about coming up with a design and an idea that doesn't uh, doesn't lend itself to feeling dated in ten or twenty years. And so I will oftentimes try and use the kind of the the scale and proportions of what was done originally. And then when the design when the interior designers come in or the ID architects. Um, they'll, you know, they usually drive kind of the ship on how eclectic the interiors are going to be.
0: Interesting point about European design, because if you pick up an architectural digest that focuses on like Greece or Italy or France, everything that you just said is evident in what they did and what you see in that magazine. Which pieces would you suggest as an investment in custom furniture for a successful outgoing middle-aged couple, I mean, they entertain a lot, what would you suggest? Who wants to go first?
2: Brad, I'll let you hit this one first.
4: The dining table is the kind of the low-hanging fruit there. It's, it's mm-hmm. the centerpiece of most conversations. It's the centerpiece of a room. So the dining room table would be my first answer. After the dining room table, it's oftentimes the entertainment cabinet, which isn't made as much more a, anymore, but the larger armoire or credenza that would be in the room. Oftentimes lends itself to being kind of a, a conversation piece.
1: How about a liquor cabinet? A liquor cabinet as well. That would be a signature piece for them, wouldn't it? First thing I look at. Hmm? <laughs> it's the first thing I look at is, is that liquor cabinet filled, too. Donna, what do you what do you say about this?
2: Yeah. So for this middle aged couple that's successful and outgoing, and they like to entertain a lot, I completely agree that they need a great. The dining table has mm-hmm. to be perfect for the size of and scale of parties and entertaining that they do. And then I'd also look to the soft finishes, like what does that sofa look like or, or the sofas or soft seating look like in the great room or the family room where they're doing all of this wonderful hosting and entertaining, getting that dialing as well as the sit just right for people that are using this product in and in and in and out every day. It's gotta have great resilience. It's gotta really look Like, it's brand new and fresh even three years from now, so you're not getting cushion compression and, uh, you know, welts that are shifting on your cushions. So I I think a really good – investing in as good a quality as you can afford and if custom can happen even better – for that sofa that sat on a lot, I think the guest chairs. That's where you can get do a little bit of your sexy flourishes, doing something really cool and custom. There is mm-hmm. customizable. There is always great. Love doing bar cabinets, so I think those are great customizable um, opportunities as well. And even though this client is entertaining a lot, if they're a client that is alive today, this couple, they're probably working from home. So I think a great investment piece is a fantastic desk that is customized to your needs. We're doing, for a client out in California now, we're doing a custom sit-stand desk for him. Really handsome piece. Um, but it's, it's super functional and it's super comfortable for this man who is working hard. He's working from home, but he's working from hard, from, you know, he's working hard, but from home. So I think marrying your heavy use pieces to your lifestyle, that's the place that'll start to point you to, yeah, where should we be investing more? Can I do this in something? Is this a standard piece or do I need to add a little customization because I have an oversized dining room or because of my, my work needs or, or whatever.
0: The fact that people are working out of their homes now, which I think will, I don't think that trend's going to go away. I, I think it's here great. to stay, but that's a great opportunity area for the both of you, for somebody to create a signature piece, especially if that work area is seen by, you know, when you take the tour of people, when they come into your house, seen by other people, by your friends, okay? To really make a, make a make a yes. statement with that.
2: Not only that, but, you know, we work with clients who, you know, many of them are C-level executives, and they're saying, you know, I might have a client meeting here in my home office, my home library, so I do want a small conference table. Well. You know, know, we might have to custom that to make it the right size to fit in this, you know, the space, if there's a spatial constraint, that sort of thing. Always thinking about how are you going to use a space and how can you support your maximum function and comfort in that space can, again, help people decide where my investment piece is going to be, where can I sacrifice, or where do I have to really go all in.
0: What would those pieces look like in a historic renovation, whether it be a Bucks County stone or a historic renovation, old farmhouse, it's a frame farmhouse, what would they look like?
2: I think it always tracks back to two things. And Brad, I, I think hearing you speak, I have a feeling you might agree with this. I think it's always about who is your client? Who is, who is the homeowner? Who are they? What, what makes them tick in design? What do they love aesthetically? And then what does the architecture and the architectural and, and the design style require? And, and I think that probably the most common and commonly used design style in the regions that you just mentioned still tends to be pretty transitional. It might be transitional that is slightly farmhouse leaning or transitional that is somewhat modern leaning or transitional that is somewhat traditionally leaning. But transitional seems to be sort of the catch-all that most people are seeing and are familiar with and are asking for in the type of parameter that you just set up.
4: And to add to that, these days for us, I agree with everything you just said. And today, the style changes, but the finishes have kind of come back to natural oil finishes on kind of local hardwoods. A lot of the veneers are not being used quite as often as we used to. So solid wood desks, solid wood tops, a lot of white oak and a lot of black walnuts being used, specified by the different designers that we work with. And then they want that soft, warm touch. So uh, hand-rubbed finishes have become Uh, much more common than they were for me about 10 years ago.
2: Brad, do you guys do as a standard finish on dining tables or kitchen tables? Do you do a catalyzed finish or do you not...
4: In the commercial world, catalyzed finishes are highly recommended everywhere. But again, these days, we are doing a ton of different type of oil finishes. Most of them have some sort of polymers in them. So a hand rubbed oil finish that does have a build, but it hardens in the wood as opposed to where a catalyzed finish sits on the surface. It has been kind of the trends. I mean, and there's many clients that I don't advise them one way or the other. I just inform them on what the maintenance of the pieces that they are you know, specifying are.
1: I and think and it actually that usually
4: would it's usually with a designer that I have that conversation. So we are sometimes getting out of the residential, sometimes we have bars and they ask us to do an oil finished bar top and we recommend that they don't do that. Mm-hmm. A dining room table, we're happy to do a hand rubbed oil finish on a dining room table. I prefer it actually. I think the catalyzed finishes have their place, but in residential homes, I think the level of wear that they get, I think the oil finishes are, are much more beautiful. Are they as durable though? No, they're not as durable, but a, a catalyzed finish when it fails, um, you generally have to bring the piece out of the home. It has to go back to a a, a finished booth where it can be properly stripped and recoated. And an oil finish can oftentimes be touched up and maintained uh, in the home.
2: Loving this. <laughs> Great to know.
0: For those of our listeners who don't understand catalyzed finish, what what uh, just define it for us, Brad. So a catalyzed finish would be something that uh, most people would consider it a lacquer. Polyurethane, for
4: lack of a better term, but mm-hmm. the look that you get from a polyurethane or a sprayed lacquer Mm-hmm. It, it has a build on it that tends to lend it to, it it looks like it has a coating on it as to where the natural finishes they don't they they have the appearance of it being more of a natural wood um they now the oils will always enhance the color of the wood but it doesn't have the same buildup that a sprayed, whether it's a catalyzed or a, a non-catalyzed finish, would have. The buildup of the clear coat is different.
2: We are doing a custom table with a group, not Brad's. Brad, I'm delighted to meet you, though, and I love I love your work. <laughs> I haven't seen it on your website, so there could be project work down the line. But the group that we're designing this table with said, you know, we don't really recommend a catalyzed finish, even though it's a kitchen table. And I said, am I going to get good wear out of what the finish you are is recommending for our client? Because the kitchen table is going to get way more wear than a dining room table. Dining room tables, people are often putting, you know, pads on top of it and tablecloths and so forth. Kitchen tables, there's nightly, daily wear on that. So it was great to hear your description, Brad, about the catalyzed finish is something that's really more on the top of that wood surface, whereas the oil finishing really kind of hardens the the wood within the wood itself. It
4: penetrates, yeah.
2: Yeah, interesting.
4: Again, it goes back to that bullet point classification of your client that you have. Sometimes clients want it to look new forever. If that's the type of client that you were working with, then a catalyzed finish is probably the direction they would want to go. Right. If it's the kind of client that likes to see the natural patina that occurs on furniture over the years, where the handprints touch more than the natural finishes, you know, or we consider them live finishes, it lends itself to being being used in those situations. But again, it definitely comes down to the client's expectations of the piece. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think it's helpful too, is people are, if people are shopping at a local retailer, and you're shopping for a new kitchen table, you can ask people can ask that question, like, what is the finish on this table, and how durable is it? With the caveat, everybody listening, wood is soft, and wood does not like having things dragged on it. It will scratch and scrape and patina. But within that, the kind of fish you put on, onto a piece of furniture is important, and you got to make sure that it's, match, it's commensurate with the way the, the piece will be used.
0: How about a replica arts and crafts home? I mean, do you have to go stickly in a case like that, or do you have latitude? I think arts and crafts has a lot
4: of latitude. Uh, You know, Stickley was one of the early successful furniture makers in that realm. But in an arts and crafts home, you could also have Nakashima and you can have Stickley. And so I, I think arts and crafts lends itself to being very eclectic. From my perspective, sometimes you have to be careful with the amount of wood that you're bringing in because an arts and crafts home usually has so much wood in the architecture of it and you sometimes want to soften it up with a little bit more fabrics.
2: I think that the point about making sure you're softening with enough fabric so that you're, you're reducing echo, that, that's big. People don't realize how echoey residences can become when there isn't enough, whether it's rug or window covering or for, for just soft furnishings. That can really help to, to eat up the way sound is bouncing. It's a big problem in a lot of the larger residences that we're involved in uh, from the design-build perspective as well. But, um, and and I, I do think that arts and crafts lends itself to everything that Brad mentioned. And I also think you can bring in some just, I, I think you've got a lot of mid-century modern opportunity when you're in an arts and crafts home. It's a great look.
0: How about a low country house? It's different, and I, would it lend itself to a lot of different executions of furniture?
2: I, I think it would really depend on the level of detailed finishing and the type of detail finishing in that low country uh, residence. You know what kind of millwork is there already? What kind of crown is you know has been established? And you know what are your casements looking like? So I, I think you just really want to respect and lean into what's what's already there, so it looks like a very seamless marriage as opposed to, hey, we're gonna throw some you know you know retro '80s action at this. You know, I, I think that architecture always wins. I think you can push architecture, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day. If you try to push it too far and it's a miss, the architecture ends up flipping you the bird, and you lose. So I think you have to really <laughs> be very careful. Completely <laughs> agree. <laughs> you listen to the architecture.
0: Did you agree with that, Brad? Completely <laughs> agree. <laughs> yeah. right. Can Live Edge be a piece of this puzzle in any style, home? Huh?
2: You know, I'll tell you what. We went to some trade shows in Paris in September, and immediately after that we went to the – Furniture market down in High Point. Two major, major shows in the interior design home furnishings industry. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: It was incredible to see what's happening with Live Edge. It's really being combined, which I think is a trend we started seeing a couple of years ago, but Live Edge is now being shown with an acrylic base. And it sounds awful, but it's it, well done. It's gorgeous. Or with a beautiful metal base in a, in a shiny you know shiny silver. It's not necessarily all organic. It's really interesting to see the juxtaposition of these of these materials. And we saw a lot of live edge, especially in the American market down to High Point. Big brands, important manufacturers, and important brands were designing using live edge in an elegant way, and then adding elegant, really cool, modern seating around it. Even though it's a, this organic structure in live edge and we, and at the, at the furniture show we were also seeing a lot more finished live edge so it wasn't rough as in you're going to pull your silk blouse when you you know put your arms at you know put your your arms elbows on the table but they're they're smoothing out that live edge it was really it was really interesting and exciting to see
4: i feel live edge if done right can be brought into most environments it is something that i think coming from the woodworking side it's something that is a little bit overdone. It seems like most woodworkers get into working with wood because they they love the materiality of everything that they're that they're working with. And the the live edge is kind of the first piece that everyone works with. They do their live edge book match table, which I've done many of. I love live edges. We've incorporated them into some credenzas recently, where we we play with the live edges and and create negative space behind them. I've never done a rustic table where we had a live edge that wasn't at least smoothed off to where, you know, all of our live edge work is always smooth enough to where it would never catch a, a blouse or a sweater. But the live edge, I like to be careful with it. I don't like just bringing it into any space, but I think it can, I mean, done well, there is a space that you can you can use a live edge in almost any form of architecture. But it is, again, that comes down to the client and how they feel about it. It's, I mean, I, I'm careful with them where, where I recommend them, you know, right. dining tables in a, in a more modern or an eclectic home, It's a great piece. We've done some side tables. I've done several headboards that are live edge. And like I had said, some drawer fronts, we play with the, the live edge uh, in, in that application. But I, I try to be careful with them.
2: Or a live edge in a console accent table in a detone that's kind of modern in perspective. And then you bring in a little bit of that organic, you know, live edge at the top and then do a, a more modern metal, metal bottom or something. So funny, though, hearing Brad say, you know, what people who work with wood, they love the wood and they love the grain. And that that's what excites them. It made me think of a project I worked on where the, the guys in the wood group and the the wood, wood workroom looked at me like I had seven heads when they saw the color I was taking a gentleman's library because they felt it was going to mask the wood. I said, just wait, just wait till you see it when it's done And then when it was done and one won a couple of design awards they loved it they said, okay we, we, we get it now but, but we admit that we thought you had lost your mind when you <laughs> you know pointed this color because the, the guys in the shop they love that big they the label of wood and they want to see that grain.
0: What about regionality? Regionality, a factor, for example, would you lean more towards maple for a restored farmhouse in Vermont and use the type of wood that's indigenous to a particular area in creating a custom piece?
4: From a design standpoint, yes, I have tried to use materials that are local to the area, but it's not a rule. If I were in Vermont, I would be, you know, anywhere in in the Northeast, Appalachian hardwoods, If I was down south, I would, you know, whatever the the local hardwoods are. But it's not really a a rule. We put white oak and walnut tables and and, and we build them and ship them all over over the country. We've been kind of bleached out. Ash has been kind of popular the past couple of years. And, you know, that's finished. Any eclectic home or more modern home can have it. And. It depends. But no, I'm, I'm not afraid to bring a different wood in. It, it has to go with whatever the, the rest of the decor is. But I do try to use local when possible.
2: Interesting. That's an interesting perspective. We're working on a, a mountain home in Idaho right now. And the client specifically wants us to pull the cowboy out of it and go more elegant. Using indigenous woods is not a constraint that I'm feeling at all. So I think that it for me, it has to do with who the client is. I, I think it was genius answer that that Brad gave, a really interesting perspective. For me, the level at which we enter the project, we're really more focused on on who that client is and how do we serve the client and the architecture. So I don't feel the constraint of having to be in a particular location for wood species, but I think it's a a valid point.
0: We're talking about an investment, say in a large dining room table or anything custom. If somebody is leaning that way, what would be the upcharge versus buying a commercial piece? I know you can't compare. It's apples and grapefruit, actually. But if somebody was looking for a rule of thumb from either of you, what would that be?
2: Gosh, that's so hard. I mean, custom is so hard to quantify. Yeah, it's like saying, how how much does it cost to go out to dinner? You know, you're yeah. having a bagel and coffee, or is it a five-course meal with or a 200 a dollar bottle of wine? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a really hard question to quantify. I think mm-hmm. you have to look at the materials that you're using, mm-hmm. the type of wood you're using. You've got to use it at the, at the size. Is it a dynamic piece? Is it cantilever open? We, you know, we've done custom round tables that cantilever open to get larger. Is, that's an expensive mechanism to build. You know, are there leaves in this thing? Gosh, I would say at least 35 to 45% more if you're customizing. Maybe I'm all wet on that. Brad, maybe you have a better perspective.
4: You have to figure out if you're comparing apples to apples. I would right. say, I would say 35 to 40 and up. I would say almost 50 percent. But again, it, it depends. If you're talking about going to a showroom that's mass producing versus custom, or are you talking about going to some of the highest end showrooms in Manhattan? You know, if you're going to some of the higher end showrooms in places like Manhattan, then it's it's almost apples to apples. Yeah, uh, because they're they're paying for their you know their 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 storefront. So really it depends it depends where you're shopping to, to try and give that answer. And you know, there's a lot of places that are no longer custom that are the same price as custom.
0: But if you have the have the taste to do a custom piece, it's well worth the upcharge, I would say, across the board. Oh, I yeah. mean definitely. Everybody who can afford it does. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You two guys have been great. A lot of good information there. And anybody who's considering such a thing, I think they would have probably played this back a couple of times. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever.
1: You have Unison, right? Yep. Paid off
0: medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years zero monthly payments. How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later.
1: How do we learn more?
0: Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for
1: details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, stone and metal roofing products made with latest technology and honest old-world craftsmanship the prevail way
0: that's this week's podcast your valuable home comes to you every week on the new pod city podcast network apple podcast and all other popular podcast directories